Hi everyone, it's Joseph. I wanted to let you know before we get into this episode, we did have some audio issues with this one, so you will notice some crackling throughout the episode, but it's still a great episode and you're going to get tons of value from it. So keep listening. This is Black Millennial Money. This is Black Millennial Money Boy. This is Black Millennial Money. Hello and welcome to another episode of Black Millennial Money. This is the show where we talk about how you can make more money, keep more money, invest more money and spend your money on the finer things in life from a Black Millennial perspective. I'm your host, Joseph Wosu, and today I am with Mr. Emmanuel Suko. Thank you for coming back. How are you doing? I'm good, Joseph. Thank you, man. Lovely to be on here and I'm looking forward to today's episode. Now, for those of you who don't know who Emmanuel is, well, Emmanuel is a, he's a wealth manager. He's a rising star in the industry. He's a television personality. So if you've missed his show, it's called Live Well, Spend Better. It's on Channel 4. You can probably get it on for on demand. If you're outside of the UK, Google it and see what comes out. But the man knows what he's talking about. And today we are talking about preparing for uncertainty. It's been a crazy time this year. 2020 has been wild. So coronavirus, Emmanuel, coronavirus. What coronavirus. The hell? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's real. It's real. It's real, real, real. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. What what can we even say? What do we even say? Because you know you don't you don't even want to be negative because it seems that every day with all this fear mongering, all this negativity is causing people to be irrational and make irrational decisions and make decisions in panic and fear. And it's like you don't want to add to that. But at the same time you want people to take it seriously because, you know, these people out here eating ice creams and Going to the beach like it's a holiday time. I just don't know. I don't know what's going on right now. And it's mad the impact it's it's had on. It kind of shows you how privileged we are in the West, right? Because mm. because all we have to do is stay inside our warm, electrified, plumbed houses, and we're complaining. We're complaining. <laughs> we're stressed out, and but more than that, it's the financial impact that it's had on a lot of people. Because as the the scary thing is, as much as a coronavirus is crazy for health and people are passing away and it's scary people are passing away before their time and it's 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 mad the effects of on the financial side are gonna last a lot longer than the virus itself being a pandemic definitely and i think people are not thinking about that you know and and again in the moment you just want to see what support and all the stuff that you can you can get and what's available to you and and the government is being generous and they're trying their best to help and support and so forth but for me my fear is not just getting through this it's it's what is tax going to look like when all of this is all all said and done yeah cuz someone's got to pay for it right you've got to pay it back otherwise the, 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 the i mean the country was struggling financially before all of this now they're pouring out pouring out money that like like non-stop where is it coming from Wait, I guess we might we might have to get an economist on at some point to, <laughs> to to break it down where the money's coming from. But I guess what the listeners are really trying to are trying to get from this, as in really what we want to talk about, is uncertainty. And coronavirus is one of the hugest, biggest types of uncertainty you can find. And to be fair, God knows how you prepare for a global pandemic, right? Yeah. But life events are something that happens, right? Life, like things just kind of pop up it happens all the time it happens every day and um i guess this conversation i really wanted to talk about those scenarios and and you're a man who deals with a lot of different people in your in your role as a wealth manager it'll be good for you to share some of those stories i think with some of the listeners so we can actually share some knowledge because keen to always put people on game through these episodes man no definitely man definitely and like you said live events happen some 
some we know are going to happen and mm. some are unexpected. But I think sometimes we still don't really, you know, prepare ourselves as we should do for them. And yeah, I'm definitely happy to share some 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 scenarios from clients and stuff like that that's happened in the past and even even in my own life as well. I guess when we're talking okay. talking life events, I mean, you know, we've got all these different things. Death is probably one of the main ones that we that that, that we don't really plan for, and obviously everyone mm. hopes everyone lives forever, um, even though we know that's not not the case. And I guess there's different ways to prepare for that, whether that be through trying to self-assure through savings or so forth, so forth, or through life insurance. Wait, hold on. You just said a bunch of things at the same time. You said self-assure. What does self-assure actually mean? Oh, sorry. So self <laughs> self-assure is when. Is when you tell yourself, you know what, I have enough money that I don't need an insurance. I'm going to insure myself through the money that I that I have. Okay, so you you basically got you're rich enough to say that if anything happens to you, the money's there to take care of everything. Yeah, definitely. Or not necessarily always rich. I mean, if you think about funeral or whatever like that, you might say, look, I've got twenty thousand in the savings account, so I don't need to I don't need to ha- have a funeral plan or a life insurance for when I die. The money mm-hmm. the money's sitting there ready. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's self sure. But then also for those that can't afford to do that, there's there's life insurance and different types of life insurance that are available to kind of cover for death, critical illness, and loss of loss of income through sickness. Um, and so again, these are the type of things that now a lot of people are thinking of or, or thinking, I wish I had. Um, yeah. And this obviously once you get through this, there's time to to put these things in place. So Emmanuel. I know we're really, really trying to share useful information here. So in your capacity as like a wealth manager, you've been at it for a long time. Can you share some examples of, of I guess, how, what the different outcomes look like when you've got insurance or when you've got enough cash available versus when you don't? Yeah, I think for me, a good time when we don't is, I see a lot in church where um, people pass away and we and then we're trying to do a collection to... to to bury someone and I and it always pains me that you know that we have to resort to this this type of thing and then I see it a lot now with the GoFundMe yeah yeah I know that I understand and it's great if we can give and help and support and and obviously as as a member of church I, I always put within that collection to try and help it but these things could be avoided because we see these same people at parties you see them driving nice cars you see them get the announcement that they're away on holiday and all of these type of things but they didn't decide to put 10 or 20 pound away a month to cover their life and all these things don't happen if you're not here um so that's always been something that burned burned within me to make sure that you know we get out there and that's one of the big things that I talk about when I go and give talks and I go to churches and other organizations I really do talk about the importance of having life insurance and insuring insuring yourself but I guess one of the main reasons that is is that when I was at Barclays and when I first started as as a financial advisor I had, a, I had a regular um, customer who used to come into the branch and we really got on and I got him to take out a, one of my first ever life insurance sales was to him. And um, mm. unfortunately, he passed away not too long after taking out the life insurance. Yeah. Um, and that was a really um, sad time for me. And I remember a few months later, his, his, his wife came into the um, in, into branch um, mm. and, and thanked me for set for getting her husband to set up the life insurance because that was the money that they had to bury them and also he was the main breadwinner so in that time when losing their, their her husband and the father to her her two children they didn't have to worry about how are they going to pay a um, mortgage and all these other stuff that was taken yeah. care of because 
you know, they knew they had the life insurance to do that and they could just focus on the grieving process. And so that was big for me and it really made me really believe in the power of insurance and the importance of being insured. Okay, we're going to get onto the details of insurance a little bit more down the line because we really want to give people some real strategies and some things that they can that they can put in place but sure. it's actually really interesting listening to you talk about those two different scenarios and how different the outcomes can be and unfortunately how common it is that the GoFundMe a GoFundMe is a great platform and it's a great service because I guess it makes some of this possible mm. but for a lot of the things it's used for there's better ways of doing it yeah but deaths is not the only life events that happen to us and Another thing that I guess you can speak to a little bit more personally is births. So um, you've got four kids. Yes. And sometimes people don't always expect to be becoming parents when they become parents. So um, for you, all four came exactly the time you wanted them, right? Or Not really. Not really. Well, I would <laughs> never say exactly. Um, I think the first one came within, you know, within a year of being married. So... I'd say, you know, and then we've just had them back to back to back and it's been hard. It's been a hard process because you don't realise how, I guess, I want to say selfish, but I know it doesn't mean it like that. But when you only have to think of yourself and then your partner, you don't realise how how selfish you are until another life is dependent on your every move and your every decision. And, And now you're making decisions no longer about you, but about them. So, for example... Before I used to live um, in On a Rope, which was quite close to, to getting into London Bridge and easy to get into work, and mm-hmm. and now I've left there not for, because for me, but because I wanted better schools for my children, and now we're out in Bromley. So it's one of those things where all of a sudden you're making these decisions, and it's it's not like you're necessarily thinking about yourself. For real. And then when you now add two, three, four, and then the cost of them. It's just unbelievable. They're growing so quick. They're eating so much. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so uh, kids eat a lot. Like I, they must. They must have put you through it in the quarantine. Yeah, but, this quarantine. Uh, what? <laughs> we are literally saying, why do you not not have your school t- stomachs when you're at home? We need to have your school stomachs because they have one snack and then and then they have um, have lunch. So what is all this eating four, five, six times in a day? <laughs> It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, these are the kind of life events that how do you budget for? How do you legislate for them, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, and like kids, sometimes some sometimes they catch you off guard, but also it's one of those things everyone always says you're never really prepared, right? Mm. So no matter how much okay, if you're a decamillionaire or whatever it is, maybe maybe it doesn't matter how much your kids cost to some degree, but even then you might be surprised. Yeah. Like just because you got it doesn't mean that they're not more that they're not not more expensive than you thought they might be. Yeah, right? exactly. And also, you have to think that based on the money that you earn, the lifestyle that you want to give them means the costs will go up and so forth. And it's still, I still have like you know my my wealthy clients still complain about the cost of of, of children because obviously then you're you're doing private schools and all of these type of things, yeah. and and the cost for that is is unbelievable. And then there's trips, and then there's. Um, tutoring. You imagine you send your child to private school, you still pay for a tutor. It's unbelievable what happens. <laughs> Paying twenty two grand Come a year to, to send them to school, and then I guess it's one of those things where it's not that I assume they don't need extra tuition, but you can't do you can't do too much learning now, can you? Yeah. But, 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 but it's still a lot of money, presumably. It's a lot. But 
And then other life events, a job loss. Yes, redundancy. And, and, and unfortunately, we're seeing a, a huge amount of this happening through the, through the corona and yeah. so forth. And, and it just goes to show people not only the fact of, I think we have a full sense of security when it comes to having a job where we're like, oh, I have my work, I get paid every month, I can pay all my bills, I can still save, I can still do... And then we don't think about the fact that that can just be taken away just like that. And we are we are so um, fragilely positioned because we're solely reliant on this one income. Um, and yeah, it's, it's become difficult for a lot of people. And, and, and it's really sad to see, you know, hardworking people from no fault of their own um, being forced to, you know, now going claim benefits and so forth. For sure. And being made redundant, like, I've left jobs in the past where um, where sometimes it was on my terms, sometimes it was on their yes. terms. And, um, it was one thing because I was single. Yeah. It's another thing if I had if I had kids or if I had a family to support. The level of stress associated with that, and those are things that you can't see coming because people get made redundant all the time, yeah. like literally all the time. And as much as sometimes they give you a bit of money, to, uh, they're supposed to give you some money, right? But Depends on the time that you've been there, how long you've been there, and so forth. They they can get away with you know one month's pay, depending if you if you've been less than a year. There's not that much protection for you. Do you know what I mean? One month's pay and any mm. holiday that you you haven't taken. Do you know what I mean? And also with like redundancy, it's like you go home that day. It's not like you get a week's notice or a month's notice, and then they'll pay you for another month on top of that. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. So sometimes you get. Sometimes you get garden leave, um, so you get you get you get time off straight away, and then the pay afterwards. Sometimes you have to work to your final paycheck, and then you get paid it the month after, and so forth. So there's different there's different different things for different companies, but it's just one of those things where now you have to think about the interview process, getting another job. How long would that take? Even if you get a start date, will you start straight away, or will you, or will they want to start the month after? How do you survive in that period between? jobs and so forth because you've still got costs going out minefield absolute minefield (laughs) like going through this list of life events it's like this life is not easy you know this life is not say it again for them joe this life is not easy because most of this stuff is just regular like this this stuff happens you're born and you pass away at some point like redundancy is becoming more and more Mm -hmm. a thing in our generation Mm -hmm. And then I guess the last life event we had on here was marriage slash divorce. And both of those things are super common. Yes, both of them. It's mad that the stats say divorce is more common than marriage, but yeah. <laughs> I don't even know how that makes yeah. sense, but I guess people get married multiple times and get divorced. Yes, exactly, exactly. But I just think, I just think yeah, the, the, the rate in, in, when it comes to marriage, how much people are spending, especially if you think about um, people from the, 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 the Afri- Afro-Caribbean community, especially Africans. I mean, when you think about their weddings and having a traditional African wedding and then having, you know... A church, church. wedding. Yes, yeah, so you have two weddings. Two basically. weddings and, and they're full-blown costs on both. Um, so then a lot of people are now taking out loans. This is a big thing that I'm dealing with in trying to educate people is a lot of people are taking out loans. Imagine Mr. takes out 25k loan because that's the max he can take out. Mrs. takes out 25k loan. They both have their weddings and then now they start married life 50k in debt. 50? <laughs> yeah. Before the mortgage. Before, before mortgage. <laughs> anything like that. 50k in debt and then off, on the top of that then now within six eight months missus gets gets pregnant and then now that's an income is less in the house 
and, and unfortunately, the a majority of these type of cases, I had a case where in 2018, three people, three couples got married, um, did this exact loan debt thing, and all three would by 20 by the end of 2019 were divorced. Um, within one within year. Within one year, because the pressures are just, it's just too much. And, and people don't understand. I think we saw in 2019 was the first year that um, the number one reason for divorce was money rather than um, obviously um, people cheating for the first time. Wow. I'm, I'm just going to let that one breathe because, because that's a lot, especially considering I'm trying to get engaged and married within the next couple of years. Yeah. That, wow. And so these are the things you need to think about because it's all good, lovey-dovey on the day and we're smiling and everything like that. But once everyone's finished eating your food, drank your drink, took your, took your gifts or whatever and gone home, <laughs> and we know that you, we know that at least 70% of people that turn up come empty-handed. So don't think that a lot of people have this imagination that they're going to have this big day and they're going to make their money back. Most times, you're not, you are not making no money back. Do you know what I mean? Cause yeah, because really, people don't bring gifts. People don't bring gifts. People don't, no, people don't no. bring, bring gifts. They just come, they turn up, they think they, the wedding is the gift because at the end of the day, you force them to, to buy a new gele or this clothes or this outfit or whatever. And so they have to travel wherever or they've had to stay in a hotel because nobody wants to do simple wedding anymore. We want to outdo the last one that we went to. So now, before you know, we're going to be doing weddings in space just to, sh- just to show off and show that I've arrived. Virgin Galactic, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's just, uh, it's just too much. And, and these are the financial decisions that we're making. And we don't understand that these are the reasons why our children, are there. we're not able to pass things down because we started 50,000. We, we, we're spending the first 10 years of marriage trying to get back to zero. The first 10 years of marriage trying to get back to zero. <sighs> okay. Okay. So, so we've run through these life events and we probably dropped the tone of the, <laughs> of the podcast. <laughs> quite a bit like some people are just scratching their heads and wondering why did I do that right now Ugh. let's now go into the financial strategies for managing uncertainty some of these things happen some of, some of the things you said we like people could probably manage a little bit you don't have yeah. to get 50 grand worth of debt to get married but there's other things like you get married you have no idea if you're going to get divorced and we hope you most people hope they don't right that's, yeah. the, that's, that's why they get married yeah. But then life happens. Yeah. And it could be any one of the previous things. So you end up having a lot of kids or you have a kid before you're ready or someone loses their job through redundancy or ill health or something to that regard. And then tons of pressure on your relationship. Yeah. Which leads to all four of these life events could be the reason you're divorced now. Yeah, exactly. And they could all come at you at once because life, life is merciless in that regard. Ooh, definitely. Definitely. Like so, when you're talking to your clients, where do you usually start when it's like, okay, we need to plan for some uncertainty because, especially as people, most people you that come to you, I assume they're trying to make the most out of their money. They're trying to grow their money, yeah, and do all of that kind of stuff. But very often, the keeping their money part, yeah, and understanding that element is often lost. Yeah, definitely. I think the first place we start is obviously with a budget. That, that has to be the first place. We have to, we can't just let money come in and money sounds go out. so simple, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It sounds so simple, but that's the first place because before we can put anything in place, before we can say, we need to know what's coming in, what's going out, what do we have left over, what do we have left to play with, what can we work with, and are there any things that, that you're doing now that we can stop and change to give you more to play with on the other side? 
Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's when we speak to clients about needs versus one and delay gratification. And so we try and change it. So I might meet a client and 80% of they're, they're living, they're living literally 80, 90% of their money is going all on costs and, and, and living. And they're only able to save five or 10%. But when we now add, what do you need first? What do you want? We add delay gratification, knowing that we're trying to reach a goal and build. Now we can move it further. And now you're able to save 20 or 30% of your money and and reduce other areas. So that's always the starting point. Then once you know what we've got to play with, obviously we'll have a commitment in regards to building up an emergency fund. It's very important to make sure you have an emergency fund. Mm-hmm. And for most people, when I say emergency fund, that is three to six months worth of outgoings. So not necessarily your income, but your outgoings. If, it's, if it costs, you might earn £2,000, but all your outgoings to cover them, Every month that you pay might be one thousand five hundred. So you'd have, you'd have free, at least three months of one thousand five hundred, four thousand five hundred in there. Or if you if you if you feel more comfortable having more, you could do that. But at the minimum, it's three months. And then after that, as a standard, would then be life insurance. Um, and depending on people's budgets and so forth, how much protection they need, we'd have that. And that would be the very basic starter kit to getting started. Yeah. We're going to go into insurance in a little bit more detail, but you yeah. covered emergency funds quite, I guess, quite robustly there on the whole idea of budgeting. Yeah. But something else that catches people out is that we're going to have, we're going to have people across the spectrum listening sure. to this podcast, right? There's going to be people just starting out. There's going to be people in the middle and there's going to be people that have quote unquote made it. They've got the insurances in place. They've got the emergency funds in place. They've got some investments. They've got a good money coming in. They've got their budget you know what's going where but the challenge that some someone in that position could have is that technically have the money but can't access it quickly mm. so um talk I talk about a liquid versus illiquid investments and examples of of what that might look like and why it's important to kind of keep a good mix of both Yes. So when we talk about um liquid assets, so that's assets that are, that you can sell to get access access to quickly so that could be a savings account um that could be money in funds that that you can that you can sell and get access to quickly um that can also be shares can be considered to be a liquid obviously there's risk with these because they can be up or down at the time when you want to get access to them and you Mm -hmm. don't have to make a judgment call but these are considered more illiquid um i mean these are considered more liquid illiquid assets that we would more consider stuff like property um or or anything like that, where you have to now wait for it to be be sold. So, and it could take, take a while, and market, and it could take a while for that to happen. And so, it's not quick. It's not instant access. You mentioned savings, for example. Yes. What type? So, I talk, I talk about different types of savings. Because my first thought was, did you mean ISAs? Did you just mean a regular savings account? What did you mean when you said certain savings? Yeah. So, there's different types of savings. So, like you said, there is the, the normal normal bank savings account. Then we have ISAs. Then we have bonds. Um, we also have, you know, um, fixed term accounts where, you know, you can 30 day accounts, 60 day accounts, 90 day accounts where you have to wait 30 days, 60 days or 90 days before you can get access to it. So you have to provide notice before they, they give you the money. Um, there are different sorts of accounts, but basically any accounts where it's mainly in cash or mainly in an asset that you can you can turn over quickly. OK, and we mentioned stocks and shares, because I guess if you with stocks and shares, if you hold them in a digital platform rather than having the share certificates posted to your house? 
you can sell them quite easily. Because yeah. if you if you have the share certificates at your house, you have to then post them off to the exchange for them to be sold and yeah. and transfer of ownership that way. But if if you've got at least some of your portfolio held digitally, yeah, that's usually a good start to make sure you've got a good balance, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, it's, it's always good to have a good balance, but at the right time, I'd say make sure you've got the liquid. So, like when I talk liquid, I really mean cash. Make sure you've got. To, uh, the right amount of that before you get into the the shares and so forth um yeah. because obviously like i said like imagine now imagine if now a lot of people need need money if all your money and i've had people call me and say look i've literally put you know 10 grand into into um my iso or whatever it may be and now it's valued you know at six or seven because they're, they're in high risk accounts and yeah. so so now they're saying oh I need to take money. Should I take money from that? And obviously, my answer is no because now you're now you are crystallizing a loss because you only truly make a loss once you take it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they had maybe put five in into that and kept five um, in in cash, we wouldn't be having this discussion. Even though their account might only be at three grand, let's say, or two and a half, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't make it as much of a difference because they've got five that they can that can hold them and tie them over for the next. Yeah. However long. So keeping that emergency stash of cash. Would you regard that almost as an emergency fund to the emergency fund? So maybe you've got your your traditional emergency fund yeah. where like if stuff goes wrong, you'll take money out of. But mm-hmm. then you've got easily available investment accounts where maybe it is a high interest savings account that you've got. And I know we say high interest with a pinch of salt nowadays because yeah. interest rates are less than three percent on most things. Mm-hmm. But it's an account that because like say for example, I know certain banks do an offer like if you put two grand in at a time, you get a higher interest rate and stuff like that. But you can touch the money at any time. Yes. So again, these this is what's happening. This is why before when I always was an ISA, always had the best, was always gave you the most interest and and also you didn't pay tax, so you got you got the best return. But ISA rates are quite low, so there are normal current accounts that are out there that will pay you a better rate than what you're going to pay in your ISA. Now, because you have a savings allowance, you don't pay tax straight away until you go over your allowance. So again, these are these are things that you can use. So yes, it, it could be a, a one of these accounts that allows you to have, put 5% on the first £2,000 that you put in and you could just hold that in there. And now your emergency fund could be in multiple different accounts rather than leaving it just all in one. Okay. Okay. Now we've covered. I feel like we've covered the liquid and the liquid investments quite well. Yeah. And something that keeps rearing its head in this conversation that keeps coming up is insurances. Yeah. And um, the easiest definition I ever found for insurance was in case X happens. Yeah. And the person that first told me that they never said X. They said something else. Mm. But we can't. We don't use those words yeah, in the podcast. Come on. Come on. But um the idea of having the ultimate plan B and life insurance has come up quite a few times in here, but most people understand life insurance as a principal product, right? So if anything, if, if someone passes away, you get a claim. I mean, you get, you get a lump sum of money, but in addition to that, what a lot of people don't know is if you get diagnosed with a terminal illness and a doctor says you've got X amount of time to live, the life insurance will pay out within seven to 10 days of that diagnosis anyway. And to be fair, you keep the money even if you live beyond the expectation. So you could you can make a miraculous recovery and you still got the money. Yeah. But something that isn't often spoken about, insurance companies are not always known to be the best for this, but sometimes people make mistakes themselves. Mm. Where... 
maybe they didn't put the right information when they were claiming, or maybe they got the wrong products and expected it to be something else. Can you speak on that? Can you have any examples of, of clients who maybe didn't get the payout they were expecting or didn't even know that they had the wrong kind of cover? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I see this all the time in regards to people who get a quote as a smoker and then realise if they do the quote as a non-smoker, it'll be cheaper, and then decide to get it as a non-smoker and then die and then the insurance company doesn't pay out because obviously when they check your lungs on death, they can see that you, you were a smoker. Okay. Wait, do, do they always do autopsies? Yeah, most, yeah, autopsies, most, most, not always, but there's, there's always medical records and so forth. Um, yeah. And so if they, if they can show that, if they can see that from medical records that you have been a smoker, then that's definitely something that, they'll use to, mm-hmm. to to not pay out because obviously you've lied. Um, sometimes also in regards to the facts that people, sometimes when people want to get life insurance or get critical illness cover is because they may have found a lamp or something or, or, or seen something and then said, you know what, let me get it now before they go to the doctor. And again, if the insurance company suspect this, they can do investigations and potentially not pay out again if they think that you already knew and didn't tell them. So mm. again, because it's not all, and that's why sometimes it's like, yes, it's nice, quick. Before you had to have a medical before you set up a life insurance policy, but that mm. it used to take so long and it used to be so long winded um, that they stopped that and they now only do like really big claims, really big insurance insurance amount. But if you get like you know. 200 300k critical illness or plus then they might say you know what, actually let's do a medical because that's a lot that we're insuring for but um now smaller ones they don't tend to do uh, medicals for but it, it can it can hurt you on the way out mm. and that's not the insurance company not being fair to you is it? no it's <laughs> it's you violated the terms of, of the agreement in the very beginning definitely and, and the worst part is is that sometimes you're just you've then been paying all the all these years of paying and then for it not to pay out when you need it most, especially if you've got critical illness. Imagine because you didn't say certain pieces of information, now you finally you got you got cancer, you got had a stroke or something like that, and now they're telling you they're not paying. After you've been paying each month, maybe they'll just give you a return of your premium sometimes. They'll say, Okay, we'll give you a return of, of, of the money that you've been paying each month. And sometimes that's that can mean very little money. Yeah. And and they don't even have to give you that a lot of times. They're not obligated to do that. No. You've mentioned critical illness cover quite a bit. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Because I saw a stat the other day and it said you're four times more likely to get a critical illness than you are to actually die, which is insane. LOL. Yeah. There's two reasons for that. Because um, obviously when we, when we get life insurance, we tend to be doing it for a particular term. So most people get it till retirement age. So that might be anywhere between 60 to age 70. So what we're saying is if you... if during the, those periods, people are living longer. So most people, it's eight, for men, I think it's about eight, 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 80 to 81. And for women, it's eight, 84, 85. So because of that, you're more likely to get a critical illness than you are to actually die because people are living longer. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously due to medicines and so forth, people used to get these illnesses but they, and then die of them. But now there's more treatments and so forth. So you're now able to get these illnesses and live longer. Oh, so they're cooking the numbers a little bit. So Of course. Uh, so someone has a heart attack, survives, but then they could have one or two more. And technically, they've had three heart attacks versus only passing away one time. Of course. So, that okay, that's how they get the four-to-one number. Makes sense. 
makes sense. Yeah. Um, but what does critical illness cover typically? Because I know each policy is going to be different. Yeah. But it's, it, I guess it's good for listeners to get a bit of an understanding before we, before looking at any products yeah, and, themselves. And it's so important because a lot of people go online and they might go to an, um, a financial advisor and get a quote. And then they go online and like, oh, I've got a quote and it's half the price. And that's because you've probably got one of these basic um, um, critical illness policies that only cover like four four key areas, which would normally be heart attack, cancer, stroke, and I can't remember the other one, like kidney or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Like the base, the main basic four. And if you get anything else, and it's a type of heart attack. Um, or it's yeah, specific very specific. specific. And it's a type of a specific type of cancer. Um, that you can get and so forth and so you're very limited because you're you're limiting what you can get and what the limit on the claim for they cut their 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 risk is lower and therefore the amount you pay is lower so mm-hmm. what i say is if i'm going to do something and if you're going to do something to the listeners be comprehensive in what you do because if i'm covering for a critical illness i don't know what i might get in the future if i'm going to pay for something let me pay and be comprehensive and know that whatever type of illness i get i know i'm covered for rather than i must get one of these specifics yeah and when i set up mine i was really i was i was advised quite well that i should get separate policies because there's a lot of there's a lot of policies out there where you'll get your life insurance combined with your critical illness insurance yes can you tell can you or can you explain to our listeners why that itself is a risky thing to do yeah definitely so i mean what we, a lot the reason it's risky and not even just risky but the reason that doesn't really make that much sense is basically what you're doing is you're if you get a life and critical illness it only pays out once so for example if i have a heart if i have a heart attack but I survive, if I have a, a life and critical illness joint, then my policy is gone based on my based on my heart attack and that's it. So they'll pay you out when you had the heart attack, but then you can continue living exactly. after that. And remember, once you've had one of these illnesses, the cost or the price to get a new cover once you've had a heart attack or whatever is through the roof. Um, so yeah. Again, it's pretty much a, a don't bother applying type exactly. process. Or, or, or what they'll do, there'll be loads of exclusions. It'll be really expensive still, but yeah. they'll exclude a load of different things that, that, you, that you potentially get. Um, so, yeah. Whereas if you took it out and you got um, a life cover and critical illness separate, what happens is if you claim on the, the critical illness element, then you can, and then later, and survive that, then you can still later claim on the life insurance element as well so and the price difference between the two is not that much so although mm-hmm. obviously having the two separate it costs more is not that much more so it really makes financial sense and it makes um cover sense to have have the two separate rather than one only yeah also often people get policies that are joint with them and their partner right yes and I've seen scenarios where, unfortunately, it doesn't pay out until the final person passes. Yes, away. it's cheaper. So you can get joint <laughs> again. You can get joint first life or joint second life. So mm-hmm. if you get first life, that's based on the first person that dies. So it will pay out to the the, the person. So the first person dies, and it pays out to the to the remaining partner. If you get mm-hmm. if you get second life. What it does is then it doesn't pay out on the first one. It pays out when the second person passes away, and that goes to um, the, the children or whoever inherits the estate. Yeah, and that's that's something not a lot of people know. So that separate policies thing is crucial for you to really, really think it yeah. through. Um, now, I guess 
we've got one more thing on the list of things that that's possibly really, really poignant right now under under the umbrella of insurances, and that's income protection. Because mm. right now, again, with all the corona stuff going on, there's, there's talk of people having reduced salaries or no salary. There's companies going out of business. So regardless of whether or not they wanted to pay you, you ain't getting nothing. What does income protection do? So income protection covers you if you're sick and unable to work. And it, no, it normally okay. covers anywhere between 60, 60%, 60 to 70% of your income. Different companies have different policies, okay? Let's clarify that point a little bit. What does that mean? So when we say it depends, some companies will do 60% of your, of your take-home pay. I mean, 60, yeah, 60% of, um, of your gross pay, or they might do 70% of your take-home pay. It depends on which, what, what, which company, each company has a different thing they're looking for. Okay. 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 So, depending on what it is, so you have to look at the, like, the finer details and so forth. Because what they don't want to do, basically, is what they want to avoid is, is putting you in a, be- in a better position than, or a com- too much of a comfortable position that you never want to go back to work. So basically, what income protection does will pay you up until the end date. So say like um, I take it out at 30, and at 35, I fall down, break my back, and I can't walk. It will continue to pay me. Now, if that money is a lot, they know that people's tendency will be to milk it and never go back to work because they're pretty much getting more than what they would do if they're working. So wait, is that going to pay you up until... How long would that pay you for? So you're 35. How long will it keep paying? Most policies are until 65, and that will pay all the way to 65, non-stop. So essentially, it will keep paying you a good chunk of your monthly salary from your previous job until your, your quote-unquote retirement age at 65. Yeah, that's how it would work. I've also seen it where it will continue to pay you even if you go back to work, but you can't earn as much as you previously did. Oh, yeah, so fill in the gap in between it. So there are also also ones that will fill in the gap in regards to, let's say um, you were on a, you work in a job and you are getting paid £2,000, but, now, but mm-hmm. now due to um, the illness or whatever's happened to you, you can still work, but now you can only work in jobs that will pay you £1,000. It can pay you the difference or put a part of the difference um, in order to make sure that you were getting before. So it may, it may pay you an additional £500 or, or so forth to, to make up the difference that you that you lost in getting a lower job. And that, again, um, is up until you retire. Yeah, that, again, is up until you retire. Yeah. Um, are there other policies as well that cover redundancy? Because I think I saw that as well when I was looking up income protection. Yeah, so a lot of income protection used to, but they don't do any more. So a lot of... When, when you're doing... Um, redundancy now there's um accident sickness and unemployment policies um, okay. so that covers those the, those policies they cover redundancy and um they last normally around two years but okay. again with those policies a lot of people don't know a lot of these companies will be trying to help you if you do it for redundancy they'll be making sure that you have to go to the job center making sure that you are applying for new jobs so forth they're very much on you to obviously try and help you assist you as much as possible to get back in work so it's mm. not like oh i've got this policy and i'll just sit at home and do nothing for two years and then i'll, I'll, I'll towards the end i'll look for a job they will be li- literally there are criteria that you must be fulfilling for you to be able to continue to claim on them okay okay i, th- I think we've covered the insurances is there anything else you want to add on insurances because i really want to make sure that people know the basis that they need to potentially think, have covered so we've yeah gone i think the biggest thing i want to add is if you have insurance please do still see 
seek a professional to review it for you. Um, the reason I say that is I've had a lot of cases where people have said they had insurance, they had insurance, and actually what they had was um, accidental death cover, not life insurance. Um, and so if you die of normal causes, it's not an accidental death, then there'll be no payout. <laughs> so literally, if you, like, God forbid, something falls on you in a shop and you pass away, payout, pay out get for hit that. by a bus, but, car but if... crash, these type of, like, accidents. If you die in an accident or so forth, then it pays out. But if you die of natural causes peacefully in your sleep, they don't want to know. And presumably that's a lot cheaper because the chances of you getting hit by a bus exactly. is Exactly. So again, these are the type of things that we need to need to be careful. So again, have your policies reviewed. Even some of your some critical illness policies, um, income protection, make sure that you know you're they're, they're up to date, you're still covered for things. They're still uh, make still make sure that you've got the right type of cover and the right amount. Again, because sometimes you think you've got a big amount and I've had clients, yeah, I've got a hundred K, I've got hundred no, you had ten thousand. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so that one extra zero that you were adding that wasn't there do you know what i mean but also knowing that for example with life insurance you can get it for a certain amount of, of time so people when people hear life insurance they think it's for your entire life no sometimes you can get a 25 year policy when you're 25 and now you're 45 like wait so i have to die within the next 10 years or i don't my family gets exactly. nothing or I need to get a new policy now and it costs me three times as much as the one that I had when I was 25. Exactly. I'm older. And you don't have to, just because you've got a policy already, you're, you might be now on a bigger income, you might have a bigger mortgage than you had before, so you might need additional cover. So you can keep more, more kids. kids. So again, you can keep the, the one you have and just get an additional one to cover the new, the new life events that are happening. So this is why it's important mm-hmm. to review your life cover and, and, and sit down with your advisor and get it reviewed on a regular basis. Okay, cool. So that's that's insurance is covered. We went through quite a lot in that, and I think it will be handy for us to put together a little cheat sheet for people to to get some insight that they can download from the website. So that will be in the show notes um, at the end. But there's one more thing that I would like to really touch on that's financial strategies for managing uncertainty that really saved me because we've spoken about having good old cash with like emergency funds and things like that. But something that people often overlooked is like literally buying gold and silver and i'm not saying jewelry although jewelry is handy but what i mean in this case is gold and silver coins and for me i specifically go silver coins and the reason i do that i'm not sure if you do that manual do you or do you invest in like in like bullion coins you not not too much i want to say it's a mate like it's a big thing of mine but i do have some just because like you said like you're about to explain like the reasons why i guess i'll let you explain it well, for me, I started getting into this when I was really young because I, I wanted to start investing, but I didn't have a lot of money. So I found out that you could buy an investment-grade silver coin for like £14. So I just started buying a couple a month mm-hmm. and stacking them up and stacking them up. And fast forward eight, nine years later, I was out of work for a short period of time. Well, I say short period of time. It was longer than I planned, but it was not actually as long as it could have been. So it was maybe three-ish months, four months. And stuff started getting mm. tight. And I could actually go and pick up those coins. And I took it to a pawn shop and came out of cash the same day. Was it more than what you originally invested? Um, I actually don't remember. I actually don't remember. I think I took about 13 coins to the shop and came out with 200 pounds. But the point was, is that it was an, it's an investment that, I could actually liquidate quite easily. I literally just went to a, to a pawnbroker's in the in the shopping center and sold it. Came out came out of cash. Okay. In emergencies, 
handy things to have, a relatively inexpensive store of money, especially because, like, in this coronavirus environment, the price of silver and gold, while silver specifically, hasn't dropped massively. No. And that's a good thing about silver as, as an investment. The, the most expensive I've ever seen silver is, like, £19. Pounds. Yeah. The cheapest I've seen is £12. That's a £7 variance, whereas I've seen gold at £500 an ounce and at £2,500 an ounce. So you, so that's a big, big spectrum. I'd rather lose seven pounds than lose a grand and not know why. Yeah. Just because that the world has stopped. Yeah. So for those of you out there, that is one of my tips in terms of, in terms of trying to store your cash in a way that is resistant actually to to inflation. Yeah. I, and I agree with that, and I think that's, it's, it's very important to diversify. Uh, normally, gold would be doing better than it has been doing because, again, when financial markets crash, when the when um, the currencies go down, people tend to buy precious metals or so forth. So, gold, the price of gold normally goes up. And again, this is why we talk about diversification, not having all your eggs in one basket. I think it's time for a quick tip. Yes, I think it's time for a quick tip. And my quick tip today was talking about um, trade accounts, especially when we're talking about uncertainty. Um, what I've what we've experienced is that people may partners may pass away and money may be in in accounts in only one person's name and sometimes it can be difficult to get access to that money and especially if you don't have to go if you're not banking with that with that um, bank then they may have no relationship with you so then you have to go and prove and wait and get caught wait for the courts to give you um, probate and so forth and that can take a while while you, at this time. You have no money or no funds, um, especially if you don't have life insurance as well. So it's one of those things where we talk about putting accounts in joint names. This can also be your grandparents and so forth, so that if anything does happen, you have access to money in order to continue moving, in order to do stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good tip. Yeah, and on that, actually, you said it really concisely, but there's a couple more things I want to unpack in that. So... In the case of your partner, where you say the bank doesn't have a record of you, do you mean that literally you, you bank with Santander, your partner banks with Barclays, so they don't? So you actually need to go and identify yourself as someone in the branch. Would it? Have, you're saying in some cases it will be easier if you had a Barclays account and your your partner had a Barclays account because at least they can verify. Who yeah, you are. at least there there might be a link to to you. So even if you do have a joint account with that. That, that with that bank, even if all the money's not in there and it's in another account, although, yes, that person is treated individually and some banks might still not necessarily hand money over to you straight away, if you come with a death certificate and they have a relationship with you, they're much more likely to give you access to that account, as opposed to if they have no relationship with you, they may then, even if you come with a death certificate, some banks may still ask for um, probate to, to show that, you know, it's being left to you. Now, again, it's easier um, with married couples, because obviously, you know, money passes directly to married couples. Um, so it's yeah. easier. But if you have a partner and you're not, and you're not married, um, again, it can be very difficult. And that's when probate would need to be proven because of wills and so forth. So having a having money in a joint account means that you can still get access to that money, even if your partner's not there. And you also mentioned parents. You said grandparents, but this yeah, applies parents, to parents yeah. as well. You should always have at least one account with your adult parent. Whether or not they're old or not, it helps in terms of if you ever need to take yeah. care of them. If you ever need to, 
maybe just look into stuff because how many of our parents really understand yeah, online banking? Exactly. Well, like literally someone could do something funny on your parents' accounts and they have no idea yeah. how to approach it. Whereas if you've got a little yeah. bit of insight, that could be definitely, handy for you. Definitely. I agree with that. Cool. So as always, we like to be really practical with these with these episodes. So hopefully we've we've delivered a lot of value here. But if in doubt, just in case we haven't given you something to think about or something that you can clearly go and do, what are three things you would say, Emmanuel, from the perspective of a wealth manager, from someone who deals with people who are in situations like this every yeah. single day, what are three things you should say that listeners can do right now to prepare for future financial uncertainty? I think we've mentioned a few, but I just want to highlight them again. So, number one, review your insurance policies if you have them already. Make sure you review them, see what you've got, and understand what you've got, and is that enough for your current situation it may have been good enough 10 years ago or five years ago but is it enough now i think the second one would be speak to you know dependents loved ones and make sure you understand what's going on like you're saying with your mom mom dad or whoever it may be um understand their financial situation because again like what i've done is that i've taken out um insurance for my mom whole of life insurance for my mom if she was to die then we'd have money to pay for her funeral and yeah Something you just said there, you said whole of life insurance, and we've been talking about yeah. life insurance in general. What's the difference between standard life insurance and whole of Good life question. insurance? So life insurance has an end term, like I said. So normally we'd be anywhere between age 60 all the way up to some policies go to 80, 85, even 90. But what, what whole of life does is, for the, as it says, for the whole of their life. So whenever this person passes away, the person that's insured, the money will be paid. Okay, and so, like I said, it's there for funeral. I don't know when my mum's going to pass away. Um, and also, by doing, I did it as an over fifty plan. So again, there was my mum has health issues, so there was no medical needed to get this policy in place, um, and so forth. Yeah. And so, because of that, it was simple, easy. It's based on her age. It's a set amount, and I have to pay that, and I pay that each month, and that that provides us knowing that if she was to pass away um there's money there if i didn't ask these questions and didn't know the finances my mom could just pass away and then i'm left with a bill or i'm having to now take out money i was looking to invest or whatever or sell some of my investments to just bury my mom now some people are going to think that life insurance mm. is really expensive and we've already said that it gets more expensive yeah. the older you are your mom was over 50 yes, when you got yes. this policy right so if you're comfortable, of course, can you tell us how much you pay and how much cover that gives us, i.e. how much would they pay out on the day your mum passes away? We hope that's a very yeah, long no, time. Yeah, definitely. Now, I but... mean, we pay, it's, it's £30 a month that I pay and that, that gives that gives yeah. me 15000 worth of cover, okay? Um, and that's good, but it can vary. I've seen, um, when I got the quotes, there were other ones that were similar price, £30, but only giving 10000 out. Different providers offer um, different amounts. Um, also, with the over 50 plan, my mum has to live for at least two years for me to get the full um, full payout. If not, if she was to die in, in, the, in the first two years, they would just give me back the premiums that I had paid. So again, um, that's something to bear in mind. And that's, that's kind of the insurance company hedging their bets because they don't do a medical, right? But they don't want you to apply if you're basically terminal or something along those lines, essentially, what that exactly, two-year window is for. Exactly. Um, what, that, what that two-year window is for. Okay. Now, you, the third thing that people can do The right third now, thing is, is, is have a contingency plan. Whether that's, whether that's an emergency okay. fund, anything, a buffer, something to put in place. As we've seen, these things can happen. And I know Corona was like this, a worldwide pandemic, and it's, it's, it's not like we're not like to see something like this again. 
for for a long time. But again, things, life events do happen. And it's important that we are just not living every month to our maximum paycheck and have nothing to be able to save or put behind us. So really look at Mm -hmm. where is your money going and where can you cut so you can start to put an amount away each month to start building up that emergency fund over time. It doesn't have to be now because you might not have an emergency for the next two or three years. So excellent. You can put £100, £200 away and that emergency fund will build up over time. But also with this buffer thing, this is where this is where I like to think I've been a tad bit clever with my finances. So with my monthly bills, I always... So I've got a separate bills account where I transfer all the money for my bills yep. every month, right? And say my bills are £500 a month. I transfer 10% extra so I, rather than putting just 500, I put 550 in. And over time, that yeah. gives me a bit of a buffer. And what that means is that if one of my bills goes up a little bit, because, you know, they always raise it every, every April in line with retail price index or yeah. whatever reason they give, it means there's still money in there to cover it. But also, should the worst happen, should something crazy happen, I've still got a buffer yeah. in my account. So, God forbid, I was unable to earn money with coronavirus or through some sort of work-related illness or I, I was made redundant. Before I go into my emergency fund, I know I've got a bit of a buffer in my, yeah. in my bills account before I have to start l- looking at selling stuff or go into my emergency funds and all of that kind of craziness. So that contingency plan is always a good shout. So just to summarize those three things, number one, review your insurance policies. Number two, speak to your dependents and loved ones about their financial situations and make sure that things that are going on in their life don't catch you off guard, especially for parents. And that's even older siblings, if there's a big age gap between you and your siblings and grandparents. And also uncles, close uncles, aunties and people like that who you, who you may end up financially responsible for directly or indirectly. The final one is contingency planning. Make sure you've got a proper plan B in place with buffers and emergency funds. Looking at what you can do right now to make sure that you can at least minimize the impact of life events. Because all of the life events we spoke about whether that's a birth, whether that's death, whether that's job loss or illness or marriage or divorce, these things happen all the time to regular people. It's crucially important that you put something in place to protect against it. With that being said, that is our episode. Emmanuel, yeah, I loved, it, I loved it. Life insurance, insurance in general is something really important to me and I really believe in it. It's something I think is very undersold and undervalued in our, in our society and I'm one of the people here trying to push it. So I enjoyed it very much. Perfect. Now, where can the people reach you if they want to continue this conversation with you about how they can protect against uncertainty, to review their policies maybe, to explain something that we've discussed that they didn't really get a full understanding of? How can they get hold of you? What the social, social media, media is the E-Man Effect UK, um, and that's on Instagram, Twitter, um, and Facebook. And they can go mm-hmm. to website, www.emmanuelasuquo.com. And again, they can request one-to-one meetings. We've got our packages on there and how we can support people and help people. And also you've got you know tips on, on there as well. And um, yeah, get in contact. Instagram is the main platform we use, so feel free to DM, send messages. We, we're putting content on there. Also on LinkedIn, Emmanuel Sucro on LinkedIn. Um, I put videos on there as well where you can get in contact with me to talk about how I can help you. Um, so yeah, that's me. Awesome. So if you've enjoyed the show today, please, please, please subscribe wherever you're listening to that from, whether that's on YouTube or Spotify or any other podcasting stream. Head over and give us a review in the app store so more and more people can hear about what we're doing if you want to follow us on social media check us out at bmm global so that's b 
M for Mother, M for Mother Global on Instagram. And you can have head over to our website, which is blackmillennialmoney.com and see the show notes. Next week, we're talking about investing money. So if you, if you enjoy this episode, you're really going to love that one. We look forward to having you there. Thank you for listening. This is Black Millennial Money. 